Hi, this is John J.P. Podlasic of Game Dev Advice. I'm a 30-year veteran of the game development industry and have a podcast where I interview artists, animators, programmers, designers, CEOs, and all different types of people that work in the game development industry. Whether you're an aspiring or an experienced game developer, you'll find useful, thought-provoking, and sometimes funny advice on the podcast. So check it out. This show is part of the RetroZap.com podcast network. What's up, Argonauts? Welcome to Arcast Mini. Uh, this is a mini episode, uh, basically that's focused on a particular topic. Um, in, in this particular case, I am speaking with video game composer who is uh, known for his Commodore 64 work, R- Mr. Rob Hubbard. So, how's it going there, Rob? Oh, pretty good, not bad. Yeah. Uh, so, I'm calling you here, uh, like all the way over at at, uh, at the UK. Um, so, like, we're we're, we're kind of re- recording this in very unconventional means, but we're making it work here. So. Uh, but like I, you know, I just really wanted to like get a chance like, to to speak with you because um, you know of, of like your work like you know on the Commodore sixty four. Um, so like I, I'm kind of curious like how you got started I guess like working on Commodore sixty four games and doing the music for them. I started on the sixty four because it, it seemed the best machine to buy at the time, and um, music magazines were saying that you know you have to get into computers if you're a musician. So I got into computers. And um, I uh, did a game, and it wasn't very good. But the people liked the music, so I thought, well, maybe there's an opening to do just specialising in doing music. And um, I uh, did a couple of demos and a mail out. And about six months later, I managed to get some work, and um, did a couple of games. People seemed to like it, mm-hmm. and then the work really started to take off. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, like I would say, like, like one of your earlier works, and um, you know, and certainly like a work that like kind of turned me on to your your music, particularly, uh, was Monty on the Run, and um, yeah. I, I was uh, I was like really impressed, honestly, by like what you were able to do with that, as far as like just the how complicated that track is, especially for the Commodore sixty four. So, um, like, like for me personally, like I, I was kind of curious, like, what was your uh, your thought process, I guess, when putting that piece together and like how you were able to push the Commodore 64 uh, hardware to make that happen? That tune was based upon another tune. They gave me a, t- a cassette tape of this thing called Devil's Gallop. They wanted that. And um, I changed it around a bit, changed a few things on it. But it was the first part was kind of based upon it. And then um, I... Uh, got a strange idea about trying to do some pitch bend so I wrote some code to do pitch bend that's how the middle section started and um, the last section is just a kind of a frantic piece that you know to end it yeah (laughs) so it's got three distinct sections really
cool. Very cool. And um, so, so like before, um, you know, you, you like you were working on like on like music before. Like you went to music college, I believe. And um, so, like, what were, were like the challenges, I guess, that you faced when uh, when trying to work within the restrictions of the Commodore sixty four? The thing only asked only asked three voices. Um, I understood the synthesizer technology pretty well because I'd, I'd already been messing about. I owned a few synths at the time, mm-hmm. so I understood all the, I understood all that stuff about ring modulation and synchronization and uh, pulse width modulation and all that. So I knew about all that, so that helped quite a lot. And then it was just a matter of basically trying to uh, learn machine code 6502 so you could try to get the best out of um, very limited resource compared to what you could get out of other synths. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, basically keep working at it to try to get the as much as you can for sure yeah and um so like you 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 know along with imonti and the run like you you know you've worked on like several other like games like you know with, with like their music uh specifically warhawk delta thrust light force uh, spellbound yeah. uh sanction international uh um, international karate um, so yeah. like, I, I was kind of curious, like if like you know if, uh, you know out of those or out of like any of the other countless games that you've worked on, um, was, was there like one particular one that you're that you're like most proud of? I would say there was a there was a few that kind of stood out. Sanction is is sanctions one of them. I would say Spellbound, Flash, probably Ken Tiller and um, Knuckle Busters was pretty insane at the time. Right, that's that's a seventeen-minute one, right. right? I would say not. I would say it was very insane at the time. Yeah, you mentioned there, like with um, with like knuckle busters. Um, that's that's one like where you did like a seventeen minute long tune, I believe, right? Yeah, yeah. So like, I, I, like, you know, I, I guess I'm kind of curious then, like with, with with that particular one, like, what, you know, what was like the thought process? I guess with doing a seventeen minute tune for a Commodore sixty four game. <laughs> it was just, you know, caught up in what <clears throat> what became a real um, culture with all the um, computer and all that. And um, it kind of grew out of all that sort of culture that developed around that time with the C64. Mm-hmm. Um, all the demos that were going around, people were doing, and people wanted to try to expand a bit further out there. I'm not sure it was really that appropriate, but it was something that was, 
you know, caught along with a tidal wave sort of thing. Right. Of um, the culture, if you like. So kind of like, I guess, like the culture of like making music and really experimenting with what you can do with music. Is, is that more or less what you mean by the culture? Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Okay, interesting, yeah. And um, you know, this, there was like a time too, um, like you know, like when you moved to to, uh, to like America actually, in order to work for Electronic Arts of all companies. Yeah. Um, so like, yeah. like, what was kind of like the the main reason for uh, for making that big move? <laughs> well, I, I um, went over there for a couple of months in 1987, mm-hmm. and um, that's when I did Skate or Die when I was over there. That's right. Yeah. For that for that game. And prior to that, I'd done a game called Arcade Classics, which used um, electric guitar sample. So I was the first person to incorporate samples in a musical context mm. within uh, a music player. And um, they were pretty impressed when they heard the skit or die. They offered me a job. <laughs> think like if you uh, like if you didn't move to the states if you if you stayed in um, in England and uh, you know that, that you would have worked on, on the Amiga more yeah I think so yeah yeah okay you know but I mean it was still pretty cool working on the Sega at the time yeah 16-bit Sega, Sega Genesis which was I think it was called the Mega Drive in Europe yes mm-hmm. but that was I mean for the time that was it was still a cool machine that had a um, 68,000 uh, processor mm. and, a, and a Z80 as well. It's a big step up from the Commodore 64 for sure. <laughs> yeah, so you could still do some things, you know. Yeah, for sure. And um, you know, to to go back to uh, to like Skate or Die, also like like how, like how like what was like the process, I guess, with. Um, with putting together that um, that like electric guitar sample because you know that's like another like just like very impressive like piece of music they were able to do within you know again those parameters. I can't remember where I got that sample from, but it, it was basically the same sample that I used on Arcade Classics. Mm. The um, I did have actually have um, there was a C sixty four sampler 
because on Skit or Die, um, there's uh, sample chords. And um, I think I was the first person to actually use sample chords on a C64. Um, so I suppose you could say that I had, uh, you know, six voice, six voice music going on at the time. Mm-hmm. Because I had sampled three note chords. Interesting. Okay, and um, so, and you know, and uh, you know, and also with the fact that you worked on the um, you know the Sega Genesis or Sega Mega Drive, uh, you know, for, from your home country, um, it, like like which which particular uh, like you know like games did you did you work on, and w- which ones were you like excited to work on at the time? On the Sega. Yes. Yep. It's nearly all sports games because. EA at that time was getting into um, doing lots of sports games, mm-hmm. so they had a thing called, originally it was called EA Sports Network or EASN, mm-hmm. and then they had to change that because um, ESPN were not very happy about EA using EASN, so they then changed it to EA Sports, and um, back in the early 90s, um, it was all uh, sports stuff that EA was concentrating on with um, John Madden football, NHL hockey, mm-hmm. and uh, PGA golf. And um, I think we did uh, baseball mm-hmm. as well. And uh, FIFA soccer was all done in um, Canada. Mm. So I, I, I didn't do FIFA. Okay, and um, I, I like I see you also did like the music for uh, for like Road Rash Two as well, actually. Um, so yeah, can, can you yeah. can you talk like a little bit about your work on that one? Road Rash was um, some of these games were um, turned out pretty good because of the um, the rapport and the chemistry of the people on the teams. Because back in those days, you know, you didn't have like. 100, 200 people working on a game. Right, yeah. You know, like basically one producer, you know, and um, maybe a couple of programmers and a couple of graphic artists. So the team was very close knit and um, like on Road Rush. because the closeness of the team which is um, maybe something you don't get these days with the large teams working on these expensive games right yeah i mean like especially with like the triple a games of today but um you you do see kind of like that old school way i guess of like making games now um you know with uh, with kind of like the smaller projects so um, yeah. Like, I, like I, I was kind of curious, like if you ever considered to, um, I guess, like kind of get back into composing games, like you know now, like for like a smaller team, like for an indie team, like working on a smaller game. Not really, no, I don't think so. Um, I do odd, odd things, you know, but um, I don't think I would go back to that because 
too many problems with um, producers and people in the command chain mm. calling all the shots and the hierarchy. Not being able, yeah. You know the hierarchy, yeah, and not being able to, um, you know, communicate really what they want, and then um, you know they've got their own ideas about what they want. So mm-hmm. I'll leave it. Gotcha, yeah. Gotcha, yeah. To other people to do that. Gotcha, yeah. And um, you know, so like now, now I've been kind of like kind of like recently and more recent years anyway. Uh, you've you, you know you've been actually um, having like your music uh, you know be um, be like performed in concert actually. Um, so like I was kind of curious of what the reception has been. Uh, you know, you know, just like with that with people who have either uh, grew up like with the games like with your music in them and people who haven't and like you just kind of listen to your music for the first time, but in uh, but in that concert kind of context. Um, well, the only concert that I did was in 2005. We, there's a possibility that we may be doing a concert next year. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, following on from that, it is a little bit strange. I've done a few of these um, retro conventions where people get together who are fans of the old te- technology. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know... Now that all these guys are in like the forties and fifties, they have their kids with them now, and you know, and uh, there's a, a a strange phenomenon where like the younger generation of some of these people, some of these people, um, start to start to like the older stuff and start to get into the uh, some of the music as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then. Um... Yeah, I was kind of curious too, like on your thoughts, like just with the um, the evolution of music in video games, and you know, in general, uh, just like with how it's, you know, it's obviously um, gone up in quality as you know, as, as technology has, has, has you know, has taken place over time. Um, but yeah. also just with how like its importance in games, I feel like has um, you know has gone up as well. Like, would would you uh, would you agree with that, or like what what are your like I guess like thoughts with how music um, has progressed in video games? Well. In the early days, um, the very uh, the very earliest game music was dreadful. Mm-hmm. It was done by the guy who was a programmer, and he was, you know, trying to code like a a part two part invention or something and get half the notes wrong. Um, so that when we started doing the C sixty four stuff, there was, you know, Ben and there was me and Martin Galway a couple of other, David Whitaker and a few other people who were much more musically savvy, trying to get them, you know, trying to be a lot more pioneering and inventive about what we were doing <clears throat> with the game music. So that was a kind of a pioneering period. And then um, as the industry grew and uh, the budgets got up right through to the days of the PlayStation, um, the uh, the music became a bit more f- formularized to fit the game, and then other things started happening, like licensing music from established artists, like um, Road Rush used Soundgarden, I think, and mm-hmm. FIFA Soccer used Robbie Williams, who's this dreadful singer from a band in England. Yep, I know Robbie and, Williams. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Dictate what they thought would help sell the game. 
and then um, eventually the the budgets and the games got so big that they started hiring C-list Hollywood composers and um, other celebrity bands to do music for games. Mm-hmm. And at that point, <coughs> it has to be very, very safe. You can't take any kind of risks either with the direction of the game, which is why you get a lot of games that are very, very similar. And uh, the music is all <coughs> imitating Hans Zimmer or something like that. Mm-hmm. because that's the formula that people expect. It becomes very formulaic. Right, yeah. That's happened in the movies as well. You don't get you don't get so much of the um, the epic John Williams stuff. You get much more of the ostinato, um, rhythmic, um, Hans Zimmer type stuff in the film scores. Right. Rather, yeah. than, the, rather than the melodies and motifs. Gotcha. Yeah, and um, like so, like, like you know, it it, it kind of sounds like too, like um, that you know, that with like musicians, uh, within the gaming industry, um, they kind of like dealt with like a very similar thing as say like voice actors in the gaming industry, because like a lot of voice actors I know, um, would have to deal with competing against like Hollywood stars and things like that in order to kind of get voice roles. Um, it almost sounds yeah, like it was yeah. kind of like a similar deal with with the musicians. Yeah, doing doing voice is actually quite complicated job on games mm-hmm. because you have to localize in different languages so you don't just do English you have to do French German and uh, I don't know how many languages do now but you know back in the late 90s 2000s um, it was all French German and Japanese and if the you know, if you're doing a, a sports game where the the commentary is interactive, it becomes a real problem trying to mm. localize that dialogue. Yeah. Especially when you want to like keep it like where it's like you know you have like all these teams from all around the world, so obviously they're going to have yeah, like their own exactly. uh, their, yeah. you know their, their own yeah. commentators in their own language. So yeah, yeah, you can't go to go to England and get somebody an English actor to speak German. Right. <laughs> they end up with a, a hokey German accent that when you, you know, ship the game in Germany, just start laughing. <laughs> because, the, because the accent is that bad. Sure, yeah. Um, so, like, would you say that, like, a lot of, like, the music that you've done in the past, like, with, you know, for, like, on the Commodore 64, um, has kind of, like, helped spearhead, like, a lot of, like, you know, as far as, like, having video game music be as important as it is today? It kind of went in cycles I think because mm-hmm. um, in, in for a certain number of years on the on the C64 music music was like quite a prominent role but then you know later on um, particularly when I went to the States uh, music became much less of a role it became it became a bit of a fight to try to get resources and uh to try to um, compete with the graphics guys to get memory and to get processor time to, to do the music. Um, you're always then also trying to get uh, budgets for doing music as well. It was always a bit of a fight to get uh, to get it all done. I think it's always been the case that like the audio side of things has always been you know playing second fiddle to everything else in the game. 
if you know what I mean by that. Mm-hmm. There's always lag behind. Right. Because, I mean, a lot of people, you know, play games and just turn the sound off, don't they? Well, I, I wouldn't say that's necessarily the case. I mean, like, especially if the sound is on by default anyway. So I feel like most people just wouldn't go into the options to, like, to do that period, unless, like, the, you know, the music was just, like, truly, like, that terrible. <laughs> um, but um, I, I feel like there's just, like, more of, like, an appreciation, I guess, like, for, vi- for video game music, especially nowadays. Uh, you know, like, whenever you see concerts like Video Games Live with Tommy Tallarico, for example. Um, oh, yeah, Tommy, yeah. Yeah, like I, I don't know if you had any any experience with with like Tommy or like working with Tommy at all. <laughs> yeah, I have. Yeah, I worked with Tommy in the nineties. We were kind of pretty good friends back then. Mm. Tommy was he, he was a real character. Well, he still is. Yeah, <laughs> he, he's, he's always been a real character, larger than life kind of guy, you know. Mm-hmm. But he was I hung out with him a few times, like in New York and that, you know, and. Uh, He's real. He's a real fun guy just to hang out with. For sure, yeah, and um, and you know, so so like right now, uh, I believe there are like some music projects that you're involved with. Uh, one is called Project Hubbard. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Can you can you talk like a little bit about that? So you know, so people know about it. Um, well, it was really kind of an idea of Chris Abbott to do this, and mm-hmm. it's got a lot of different uh, elements to it. Uh, what other people are doing, other kind of remixes of different, in different styles. And uh, they kind of like strong-armed me into doing a doing a few synth tunes again, which was really, really difficult to try to get into doing that stuff again. Mm-hmm. Um, we're hoping to try to get this orchestral concert together next year. And that's really been my um, main... Uh, focus has been working on on the, uh, some of the scores for that and expanding the um, expanding the pieces and rearranging them into an orchestral setting. Mm. Is that the eight um, bit symphony? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you know some of the other um, efforts to do game music in. Uh, with an orchestra, varying degrees of success. Some have been quite uh, bland, shall we say, mm-hmm. not very imaginative, you know. So you got to—I think you got to put some work into it to try to bring it to life. For sure, yeah. Um, and I, you know, I guess like the last question I really wanted to ask you then is, um, you know, like when you were making like you know all the music that you've they've done before, like you know, like for Monty on the Run and so on. Um, yeah. have you ever imagined that you would, have, you know, that you would see like, you know, your music kind of displayed in, you know, in concert in this format? No, not at all. No, absolutely not. <laughs> I mean, back then it was a gig, you know? Yeah. It was, it was a case of, uh, getting the jobs and I thought that these games would be put in the, um, you know, would be around for a couple of months. And then they would just get thrown in the bin, and that would be the end of it. Mm-hmm. So it was a case of you doing your best because you want to get another job. You want, you want more work coming in because it was it was interesting and the, and the money started to get real good. And, uh, but I didn't think any of this stuff was going to last. You know, two or three buns at top. You know, just like a 
the top 20 chart records would only last a couple of months and then they would get put in the bin. So I didn't think anybody was ever going to remember any of this stuff. And it's, it's actually pretty crazy that people seem to remember it 30 odd years. Yeah. Um, but I mean, in some ways, it, it's been it's been good to me because it validates all the amount of work and the effort that I put into getting that stuff done in the, you know back then because I really did uh, put a lot of hours working on all that stuff I did a lot of work and uh, shortly after I went to the states the Commodore 64 pretty much uh, died out so you know mm. for those seven seven or eight years there was a lot of work put in. Yeah, and like you know, like especially since like a lot of your work you know is is related to the, you know to the Commodore sixty four in that way, um, it's it, you know it is great to see that even after all these like you know years after all those like you know the the generations as well since you know since the Commodore sixty four that people still remember your music and still want to commemorate your music too in that way, um, and yeah, so yeah. yeah, so like I'm I'm you know I'm really happy for you in that case. I'm glad you know I'm glad that you know people are able to like discover your music or rediscover your music. Um, and yeah, you know, I, I hope people still still keep discovering your music uh, from here on out. So um, you know, we'll, we'll have like some some pieces of your music playing, uh, like, you know, in, in, you know, in this particular episode as well, so people can uh, get like a taste of that as well. And um, yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, well, you know, and um, you know, best best of luck to you, Rob, like with uh, you know with their future endeavors. This is John J.P. Podlasic of Game Dev Advice. I'm a 30-year veteran of the game development industry and have a podcast where I interview artists, animators, programmers, designers, CEOs, and all different types of people that work in the game development industry. Whether you're an aspiring or an experienced game developer, you'll find useful, thought-provoking, and sometimes funny advice on the podcast. So check it out.